going to be a good day when we get to dismiss the kids for kids' church. I miss that part of the service. It's, it's just fun. It's fun to watch them, like, flop and roll all to the, to the doorway. Um, so good morning, um, and good morning to you who are joining us online. Uh, I am really, really uh, longing for the day that we can get to some kind of normal situation in here, man, it looks like we really, really do not like one another in here, the way we have to sit and look at one another awkwardly and like, can I even talk to you? Um, but not only that, happy Father's Day to all the dads. Um, every year for uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day, we try to honor um, honor our moms and our dads just with some kind of just some reminders and some encouragement about the roles that we play in parenthood, and so this morning I want to read some, uh, just something, some notes that we've we've jotted down and shared over the past few years um, for to encourage you fathers today. I just want to read this to you, um, and just receive this as encouragement. Receive this as a challenge, as dads, um, and as dads to be. Those of you who are looking forward to that day, uh, to you who are faithful. And loving husbands and fathers, we admire your heart and we admire your character. To you who are proud of the men and women your children have become, uh, we rejoice with you. Uh, We want to be proud along with you. To you who uh, became first-time dads this year, which usually in our church happens about 38 times a year. Um, We got first-time dads happening. Um, We celebrate with you, man. Congratulations. I know that this year has just really kind of rocked your world, and so we... Uh, we want to celebrate that with you, and we want to uh, we want to walk with you uh, through these these new days that you're experiencing. Um, to you who are awaiting new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. To you who are far away from your children, relationally or physically, we mourn with you. To you who are co-parenting and are not able to be with your children as much as you want, we sorrow alongside you. We know uh, how much you hold your children dear to your heart. To you who have welcomed children into your heart through adoption or through marriage, we thank you for that gift. To you who have become trusted mentors and friends to kids who aren't your own, we honor your kindness and your generosity. To you who lost a father this year, we grieve with you. And to you who've, who's had absent, absent or unfit fathers, um, and you're doing the best that you know how to do, we acknowledge your experience and we commend your courage. Keep plowing, keep fighting, keep moving. To you who long to be dads but find yourself in a different season, um, for whatever reason, whatever circumstance, we are in this season with you. Uh, we are in this moment with you, and we will both hope with you and wait expectantly with you. This Father's Day, we stand uh, alongside all of you. Fathering is, is not easy. It's not for the faint at heart, and I believe that we have true warriors in our midst, and so we remember and we honor all of you. And so I just want to bless you this morning as we get started, so let's pray. Uh, Father, um, God, what it is. Uh, uh, just such a great honor to, to even just say that name to you um, as the perfect, loving Father that you are. And in all of our imperfections as fathers, we, we remember that you, uh, you are the absolute standard of an 
of a father who gives unconditional love and who, who goes, um, who spans the chasm for their, for their families. God, we just want to be a, 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 some kind of resemblance of the good-natured father that you are. For so many of us who are dads, um, there are so many, um, God, there's so many things that uh, we feel like we have to rise up to, that we have to, expectations that we have to meet, and most of them, Father, are just, they're put on us, we do it ourselves, and so, Father, would you give us freedom and liberate us um, from the pridefulness, uh, would you unchain us from the addictions that we struggle to, to be uh, more than what you've even called us to be, that we, we put more on ourselves, and, and so, Father, I'm just praying now for those who are tired this morning, those who are stressed this morning, those who uh, feel like they have to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. Um, God, I pray today that as we think about the glory of Jesus, that there has uh, never been a heavier weight than Jesus Christ carrying the cross on our behalf, and so we have freedom in that. Father, I pray for those who are, um, today is not such a celebratory day for whatever reason, maybe this is their first, uh, their first time to uh, go through Father's Day without having their father with them. We just pray, Father, that you comfort them with the, with the comfort of the Holy Spirit in the way that you know how in, in, in a very uh, miraculous way. For others that, are, uh, that, that, that don't celebrate Father's Day as, as the world might tell them to just because of distance or, or just because of um, unmet expectations or just the lack of reconciliation between a father and a daughter and a father and a son, um, Lord, I pray that you begin to work uh, in the midst of that season of life this morning. Lord, you have, you've, you've been the, the absolute perfect father. And not that you've called us to, to step into your shoes and not that you've called us to, to take, take your place as father. You've only called us to look to you as our own father. So, God, I pray that you would rest our souls and you would rest our hearts um, knowing that um, you are working all things for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose and for your glory. And so, Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of, of fatherhood, of parenting just in general, Father. I just, I even think about the, uh, the moms who are having to be the best father that they know how to be. Uh, God, would you bless that home today, would you bless that circumstance today? Would you encourage that family today? We love you and we ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So we are, um, we are in week 25 of our series. That sounds kind of weird. 25 of, I, I counted them out, we, we, this whole thing's going to take us about 45 weeks, Lord willing. Um, we're so far, we're still on track. We haven't had to split things up or go in two and three um, different pieces on one part. We, we, we've been able to kind of hold our schedule. Um, we've spent the last three weeks looking at the miraculous birth of God's promised deliverer, Jesus Christ. Um, how uh, a couple of groups of people, one week we looked at how the shepherds would respond to the birth of Jesus. And then last week we looked at how the magi, the, the wise men from the east, uh, would also respond to the birth of Jesus. And, and then from last week to this week, we're just flipping a page. 
We're going from one chapter to the next. And as we flip, we're flipping roughly 30 years. That's just kind of how the, the Bible gives us the storyline of Jesus, that we're going to flip. We're going to see Jesus as an adult in our, in our next, uh, next passage uh, through our series today. Um, and he's an adult that's getting ready to begin his public ministry. And then we're immediately introduced to John the Baptist, who is kind of thrust to the forefront of Jesus' public ministry. He's kind of the first one to, to kind of pop up and start talking about this, this promised Messiah that, that God had been, had been uh, telling the people about and reminding the people about for years and years. Since meeting the Magi in, in last week's passage, uh, Jesus and his family have uh, temporarily been displaced as refugees to Egypt because Herod uh, was out to take that family out. They, he heard that there was this king of the Jews that was born and he was going to rise to power and that was a threat to Herod and his kingdom. And so he tried with all his might to pinpoint this king that he heard about and whenever that failed he just decided to issue a command to uh, wipe out all the firstborn sons two years and younger um, and that would just kind of, that would, that would kind of kill the, the, the vibe about having these, this king of the Jews. And so the Magi, as they got ready to leave, uh, to head back east after they put their eyes on this promised child, they warned the family that Herod's coming for them. Herod's hunting, hunt, hunt, going to hunt them down, and that they needed to, they needed to take cover. And so they uh, journey to Egypt, and, and as they do that, once, once it was safe for them to, to return to the region a few years later, uh, they would come back and they would end up settling in a town called Nazareth. Um, and from everything we can tell, Jesus continued to be raised up in this blue-collar, working-class home. Uh, he wasn't a, a king of splendor. He didn't grow up in the palace. He didn't have uh, all the things that you would think a king would have in that day. He, he, it was just, they were just a normal family. History would tell us that uh, it, you know, in his adolescence, it was likely that his father Joseph would pass away and that he would actually, uh, he and his brothers would assume kind of the, the family business as, as carpenters and, and, and uh, stone workers, and that's kind of how, how they, they, they rolled. And, and, and so that's what we can tell from scriptures, just kind of connecting the dots and looking at history. Jesus was around 30 years old at this time as he begins his personal ministry. Um, and we're going to pick up our text. Our passage today is going to be Matthew chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be kind of hanging out in the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 3. And so I'm going to read that text um, as we jump in today. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locust and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from, from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork 
is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing, his threshing floor and gather the, his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to, the, to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so as we dive into this passage um, this morning, there's several scenes that are taking place. There's kind of, you can see the, the moments kind of opening and closing and going to, to, to another scene. And the first one that we saw right when, the, right when the passage opens up is that it starts with this breaking news uh, that John has. It's this news that, that John the baptizer, and the Bible calls it the Baptist, and we're not sure what kind of Baptist he was, if he was independent or free church. We're not sure. Really, we just need to read that as John the baptizer because they didn't have the denominational lines and all those things that we've created a mess of today. Um, he was John the baptizer, the one who was in the wilderness baptizing people in the Jordan. Um, and so he had this news, and he was out in the middle of nowhere proclaiming this news, which is a kind of a weird place for a journalist to go, right? If he wants to go catch some breaking news, you just don't go out in the middle of nowhere and do that. But that's where he's at. Um, and his report essentially goes viral, um, that, that the kingdom of heaven is entering into the world and everyone needs to get prepared for it. That was the news that was breaking, and this is the message that starts to spread all throughout the region, uh, the scriptures tell us. And people start pouring in from everywhere, from all corners, to hear this wild man in the wilderness um, saying these things. Um, a lot of times what makes something go viral is that it's kind of countercultural, right? And that's what kind of sets it off to where people are talking about it and, and checking it out, and it's kind of the, the, the buzz for the day. Um, or it's shocking, or it just grabs our attention, and now that's, it's almost like weekly nowadays there are uh, things that are going viral in front of our face, things that shock us, things that, things that are countercultural, grab our attention uh, in these abrupt ways, and so it is with John's message. Uh, before you even hear him speak, his appearance would shake you up a little bit. Uh, his clothes are made from camel's hair. Um, that was not like the normal garb for the day. And the intention is to communicate that it's not very comfortable. He's not, it's not fleece. It's not like something, you know, very comfortable and soft. It's camel's hair. And he's got just kind of a, a belt strapped around his waist. You know, like there's, he's just, there's not a lot to him. He's a kind of a crazy, crazy dude. And, and, and this is extraordinary that the Holy Spirit wanted to include this in the text, that he wants to describe how he's explained. He looks goofy. He looks a little bit awkward. Um, he would be one of those people that if you were out in public, it would be an awkward moment because you couldn't stop staring at him. You know, it's just like, that's, I can't not look at this dude because he looks funny. Um, and if it's not awkward enough, he's eating bugs and wild honey, right? And that, like, that's not super abnormal in that time, but it wasn't just kind of your normal dish that you would eat. You know, it was kind of, he's, he's a weird dude. And so needless to say, John was a strange cat, right? And his whole lifestyle was countercultural. Uh, and, and this made him a very intriguing person, right? You would want to go check this guy out. He was kind of a carnival act, so to speak. And so everybody was kind of going out to see this dude that they were hearing about. It was, it was kind of a wild deal. Um, and, and to add to it, uh, not just his appearance, but the message that he was proclaiming was countercultural. What he was saying was kind of 
shocking, so to speak. It was, it was a simple message. We saw it in verse 1 and 2. In those days, John the baptizer came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And the simple message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It seems like it's just pretty straightforward, but if you start peeling the layers back on this and putting the pieces together, it's, it's actually profound what he's saying. He says, repent. He uses that word, repent. And if you don't consider that a scary word, might I suggest you're not practicing it enough. That's not a cool word. I mean, when you think about it in its, in its essence of repent, the world has become frightened of this world to the point to where if I, the fact that I'm saying it right now, some of you very well may be thinking, oh, you don't need to say that. You're being judgmental. You don't need to talk like that. Who, who are you to tell how somebody else should live and what, should, what they should do? Right? That's how much the world hates that word. But this is what John was saying, and so we can't just duck away from it. We're not going to skirt around it. We struggle with this word so much in our context now that we're, we're trying to redefine it, maybe try to take some weight out of the meaning of the word repent. Because I, just looking through the, the passage this week, and, and just I, I tend to go and look for definitions like what's our, what's our, uh, what's our current definition of this word, uh, Webster even jumps on the bandwagon of taking some weight out of the word. If you go to the dictionary and look at the word repent, it's to feel regret. It, it's to feel bad about something. That's how the, the dictionary defines repent. So for those of us who've had more exposure to this word, understanding the, the weight of this word, um, you can already see that the, uh, the Webster Dictionary has joined the masses in trying to, trying to take the weight out of this word, trying to take the, the, the punch out of this word and lighten the term. It's not just about feeling regret. It's not just about feeling bad about something. That's not what the word repent means. As it's defined in the Bible, repent means to turn and go in a different direction. There's an action that takes place. It's not just a feeling. It's not that I feel bad about something. The Bible uses the word repent as an action. Say, I'm fixing to do a 180 from where I'm currently headed. That's how the Bible uses or defines this word. Guys, every time you're not lost and the GPS keeps saying, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, I want you to remember when you hear that, that repent means more than just feel bad. Repent actually means action. I want that to remind you of this morning's message. What do you need to be repenting of? Ladies, you're included in that. I don't know if that, that, that goes for you too. Guys just don't get lost. This is essentially what repent means. But John doesn't, he doesn't stop here. He gives this reason for why the people need to repent. Not just that this is what you need to do, but he actually lays it out for the people why they need to repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's essentially saying is that there's this whole new ruler coming in the world. There's this whole new king that, that's coming into the world. And he is the proper king. He is the, the right ruler of the whole world. Not just of the whole world, but the entire universe. He's the one that God's been promising. And that everyone needs to turn from the way that you are currently living, living for other things, living for yourself, and prepare yourself for this new kingdom. That's what he's saying. That's what the message is. Now, now today, John the baptizer might be understood as this doomsday preacher, this uh, hellfire and brimstone 
end of the world crazy kind of preacher that every day is the end of the world for that guy and I just that gets on my nerves but this is not how we're to take John it's not how we're to understand him John was actually a a messenger um, who who was promised to us from the very beginning who was promised to God's people from the very very beginning that he would be the one who prepares the way for the coming of the Lord that was the that was the promise that God uh, is the one who would send John into the world to prepare, to prepare the world, to proclaim the coming Messiah and his kingdom. And we're given a reference in our text in verse 3 uh, of Isaiah's uh, prophecy. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This promise was made centuries before. That the one who would come and make all the sad things in the world become untrue would be preceded by this messenger who would make this announcement of the king's arrival. God had made a promise over and over and over in the past. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, the book that we just kind of closed out in the Old Testament when we went into the New Testament. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God made this promise that, that he would send John into the world to prepare the way for the Lord. And, and the message was essentially a wake-up call. It was, it was a wake-up call that people, you need to wake up from your slumber. The king is coming. He, his arrival is right at our door. That you would wake up from your slumber and that you would think about your future and where you're headed. That's how this message is still uh, uh, implied to us today that you need to wake up because Jesus is coming the king is coming and tragically most of us don't think about the future and, and listen sure we'd like to say we're always thinking about the future but in reality our actions the way we spend our money the way we spend our time the way we prioritize our day-to-day looks nothing like we care about the future it's all about the here, and it's all about the now. So we might, be, uh, we might have good hearts about wanting to think about the future, but in reality, our actions don't line up with that most of the time. We're fixated on the here and the now. Whatever is happening in this immediate moment is what I care about right now. Not what's going to happen 10 years from now, not what's going to happen 100 years from now, but what's happening right now. Most of the dumb moments in my life happened because I was right there thinking in the here and the now and not 10 steps in front of me. And I bet that's the case for most of you. I can start listing some really dumb things and some of the statutes might not have run out on it so I won't do that. Some really dumb things that I've done because I did not think 10 steps ahead of me. I did not think about the consequences. I didn't think about what this might look like tomorrow. And the challenge that John has for us today to wake up, to shake us from this immediate fixation that, that we have on the now and to consider what's ahead of us. Like, are you thinking about the future in relation to what God has promised? Are you really thinking about the future in relation to what God has promised you and I? And if so, how does it impact your current situation? How does it impact your current lifestyle? How does it impact where you are right now? Does it impact it at all? Does it change anything at all? 
Now, I, I know for some of you, you, you actually stay fixated on the future to a fault. And that turns into worry and to anxiety because you try to control every situation and don't even try to include God because he really don't know what's going on. He's kind of somewhere else doing something else, but I got this part. And you lose sleep at night. You worry. You struggle with anxiety. You struggle with depression. All these other things that you try to control in your own life. But for the most part, we don't. But those, like for all of us, the, the news that John was proclaiming, it's actually good news. It's not hellfire and brimstone. It's not like, ooh, it's doomsday. That's not, his news was really, really good news. He wasn't this doom and gloom preacher that was trying to scare everybody into submission. That's not how he rolled. His message was that God's kingdom was coming into the world to rescue all of us from all of this. That was his message, that all the stuff that's broke, all the stuff that's not right, all the things that we find ourselves in tension and hostility with, he's coming to fix all of that stuff. We're going to be rescued from all of it. That this liberation was for anyone who, who would turn from the bondage of their sin and come into the kingdom of God. That's good news. That's not bad news. And, and just like all good news, it has to be reported. Like, it has to be told. We have to relay the good news. And this is what John's doing, and is the call for everyone who belongs to the kingdom. Every one of us who would, who would call ourselves believers, we have good news. It must be reported. We have to report on it. We have good news. We have this glorious privilege to tell this good news, to report this good news. And, and I know we love it. Like, how many of you, seriously, let's be honest. I'm going to be honest. Y'all be honest with me. If somebody shares a little secret with you that nobody else knows, you feel like you got a little bit of privilege. You might even say something to somebody else about it, even though you're not supposed to. But if you, if you could actually hold it in until it's public, I already knew. I was, I was going to tell y'all, I already knew. Like, we, we love to have good news, especially when somebody else don't have it. Or bad news, I guess we're, that's our brokenness, that's our flaw. But, but we, we're people that, we enjoy that. We have good news. And you don't have to keep it a secret. You, we're giving you permission today. You can tell everybody. Tell everybody. And this good news is for everyone. Listen to me, it is for everyone, whether they receive it or not, it's for everyone. Just because someone doesn't like it doesn't make it any less true, doesn't make it any less good. So that means they need to hear it whether they like it or not. And I know that we're in this real kind of sensitive time where you're just like, man, I hope to just really kind of have an opportunity one day, uh, but you know, I don't want to offend, I don't want to kind of get in the way. If they were dying of something physical and you had something that can cure them, you would, you would push them down and, and give it to them, right? Like that's, that's the reality. Every year, man, I go to my doctor and he bemoans about something, this cholesterol thing. I don't even know what it is, but he don't like it. I, and I'm, I'm, I feel great, right? And, and so like apparently he's sitting there saying, hey, look, man, you, this thing's coming and, and it's hitting the, the blood work and you know, the, the way you fix this is you got to, you know, you got to eat right and you got to exercise. Well, that's not good news. Like, he, he'll actually pull out a paper and he'll show me the things that I should be eating, and there's nothing on it. Like, there's no ice cream, 
There's no, there's no like fried chicken. There's all those things are off the paper, and he's got like weeds and and water and things on the paper. And I'm like, that's terrible news, right? No, it's not terrible. It's terrible news in that moment, but it's for my good, right? He's trying to take care of me, but it just don't sound good in that moment. Just because it doesn't sound good to me doesn't mean it isn't true. It isn't good, right? It's good. Whether I think so or not, and just as John does, we should also long to proclaim this good news that we have about the kingdom that we belong to. It's really good news. The next scene in our passage, that was the, the news was one scene, and then it kind of switches to this next scene as he proclaims it. What is the reaction of the people? In verse 5 through 8, it says, In Jerusalem and all of Judea and the region about the Jordan were all going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, be, to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit and keeping with repentance. And so upon hearing the news of God's kingdom coming into the world, this discussion um, ensues, this debate. Notice that there are all sorts of people from all sorts of places that are hearing this good news of the kingdom and they're coming to, to see what it's about and they want to discuss it and they want to debate what they're hearing. And I know this seems foreign to us. But we don't discuss and debate news. We just take it at face value, right? No, we love this stuff. This is, this, is, this is where we're at. We love trying to debate this and discuss news when it comes out. And I believe this is due in part uh, because we'd rather prefer not to reach any conclusions. Because a, a, a conclusion will threaten someone's ideology. And here's what I mean by that. A conclusion means someone has to change their mind. Right? If we're going to have a discussion, if we're going to have a debate, a conclusion means somebody's going to change their mind. Has to. And so we'd rather not do that. So let's just keep the debate rolling, man. Let's keep the discussion going. Let's ask more questions. Let's get preposterous about some of the, some of the debate points that we're trying to make. And let's keep that going so that we don't reach a conclusion because I don't want to change my mind about this. This is what I want to believe. So let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself to be open-minded? Do you consider yourself to be open-minded or do you consider yourself to be closed-minded? Most people, especially when it comes to the message of Jesus, are closed-minded. In my experience, like you don't really want to listen to it or you just attend, you, you like tend to, to, to avoid being honest about it. And so you'll find ways to dismiss it, to skirt, to, to skirt around it, to, to debate it. And is that where you find yourself today? Just, I'm, I'm going to try to get around this conversation. I'm not going to have this talk. Are you actually open-minded to the gospel? Are you actually open-minded to the good news? Are you actually willing to have your mind changed about some things that you believe to be true? Would you really be up for an honest conversation about it? Have you considered Jesus at all? That's the big question. Have you considered him at all? Is it, it, it's going to take you to being open-minded to really have a, a good, real discussion about the good news. It, it really will. It's going to take that. And there's typically 
uh, a few perspectives that people have or where they're coming from uh, when they hear about the good news of Jesus. Like there's, there's, we're coming with stuff, right? And one perspective, and a pretty popular one, is this religious perspective that people come with over a discussion about the good news of Jesus. That assumes that this person is, is right with God already, right? Like I'm right with God because I've done something or I've accomplished something or I'm doing these things and so I'm right with God. And that's a religious perspective, some kind of religious effort that they're kind of putting forth some type of even tradition or heritage that they're holding on to to say, this is what makes me right with God. It's these religious perspectives. They assume that they're okay with God and that God is okay with them because of their religion in a lot of ways. And this is what we're seeing in our passage here with these Pharisees and these Sadducees. That's what's going on here. They, they come out here because there's a lot of noise about this wilderness prophet, right? There's a lot of talk, a lot of buzz, and so they go check it out. Like any good religious person, you go and listen to something that's being said that's drawing a crowd about your God. You go check that out. We probably go in there and debate and start up some mess with, with, with all of that. So you go, and then they, they're not wanting to be one-upped by the common people, right? And so, hey, we want to be baptized, too. If we've got to hold our religious... Uh, clout, we're going to have to kind of go through this baptism thing through. Hey, we want to be baptized too so that they don't get one up on us. But the truth is, they were just coming out there to go through the motions. Their hearts aren't really receptive to John's message at all. And John picks, he can see right through that. He picks them right off. And he'll say, don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. In other words, I don't give a rip about your heritage. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what kind of religion you claim before. This is the gospel. And this is the way into the kingdom of heaven. That's essentially what John's telling these religious people in this moment. They have this perspective that they're all good, man. We're in right standing with God because, hey, man, we have some ties to Abraham, this dude that God made a promise with a long time ago. So, we're kind of in by default. You know, we're kind of grandfathered in because we come from Abraham. And John's essentially saying, so what? God can raise up worshipers from a pile of rocks. He didn't need you just because you come from Abraham. God's not looking for the right heritage. He's not looking for the right traditions. And I don't care who you try to name drop with him. It goes much deeper than this. Jesus Jesus would also inject a, a rebuke into that same vein uh, later on in the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Pharisees were bankrupt in their hearts. They were bankrupt. They, they were prideful. They were self-indulgent. They were lawless. They didn't really love God. They didn't. No genuineness, no, genuineness, no transformation of heart whatsoever. And we can easily fall in that same trap. We very well may have our foot in that trap right now and don't even know it. I read my Bible every week, man. I pray all the time. 
And the heart behind that is since I do this, God owes me some favors. That's the same idea. That's the same heart. Or we might chalk it up to a religious pedigree, right? Like, hey, man, like my, I come from a family who they've been Christians for years and years and centuries and centuries. Man, I got great, great granddads and great granddads and granddads. And my dad, they're all pastors. And so, you know, that's, that's who I am. And these are all just religious perspectives when it comes to the good news of Jesus. They're just religious perspectives. And, and if this is you, John's response to you and to these religious Pharisees and Sadducees, Matthew 3, 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not just lip service that we give to God. It's, it's a, and it's not just a few things that we can do in our life that seem religious. It's a transformative life. It's it's a life uh, walking, uh, walking in repentance that longs to enter into this kingdom that we hear so much about. So for those of you who are here today and you call yourself Christians, like that, you, you wear that label, is this how you understand your faith? That you bear much fruit in repentance? That's how we bear fruit as believers? Or do you think that you come here you watch online and that's your that like that's where you get your label from like that's how you identify yourself that's how I understand my faith and others you may opt for a not necessarily a religious perspective but a a secular one those who really don't go the religious route this is the same event of John the Baptist in the wilderness that we pick up in the gospel of Luke in chapter 3 uh, it kind of tells us some of the questions that the crowds would go, were coming up with whenever John was, saying, was preaching this message. In Luke chapter 3, the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. It's interesting that he kind of goes after possessions and money. That's kind of where he goes with it. And the struggle from a, sec a secular perspective is that when it comes to hearing and responding to the good news is that you have a greater allegiance. That's the problem, that you, you, you have... You have laid your allegiance over to something else besides God, something greater that you're living for that's hindering you from shifting your allegiance to Jesus and to shift your allegiance to his kingdom. And that's what's going on in Luke's account of this moment. You have someone who wants to do right by their neighbor. Like, I, I, if I ask anybody in the room, yeah, man, that's a good thing. It's a good, noble thing. We, I want to be able to do for my neighbor. I want to be able to care for them. Cool. That's great. You, you want to do this. You should probably start by selling your belongings and giving some of it to them. That's not me talking. That's Jesus talking, right? Like, I can take you to passages in Scripture. Is that a universal application? Probably not. But is it particular to some of you? Is this how God might call you to love your neighbor? I find it very interesting that that, that was his response, was possessions and money, whenever they would ask John, what, what do we need to do? What does repentance look like, John? Oh, I don't know. Why don't you quit stealing money from people? Why don't you quit hoarding stuff? Why don't you let some people who are less fortunate than you have some of your stuff? Don't call me a socialist. You call Jesus a socialist. 
the struggle is that sometimes it's a greater allegiance to yourself. That I am the most important thing. That I align all of my values with me. That, that what I really desire in life is my own comfort, my own happiness. And not really concerned about the well-being of my neighbor really at all. When it, even when, it, when you say you want to be. Even when my voice says that I want to care for my neighbor, my actions don't. The tax collector, for, for instance. Take that for an example. Their allegiance rested in greed. And can you see the tragedy in all of this? Like, the, that whatever you're, you're given, like whatever you're placing your allegiance over to instead of Christ is always going to be destructive and it's always going to leave you wanting. It's never going to satisfy, ever. It, it, self is never satisfied. If your allegiance is to yourself, it'll never satisfy. We always are going to want more. We're, we're always going to want more money. It's, it's never enough. We're always going to want more power because what we've got is never enough. And so the call is to shift your allegiance. When John says repent, he's saying shift your allegiance from where you are right now. And there's then this Christian perspective. Believers, brothers and, and sisters, and that's where Matthew would, would capture the moment in chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so the Christian perspective of the good news of Jesus is one who actually understands the good news, understands that the news is actually good, that it's not bad news, that God's kingdom has in fact entered the world, that it has come in, in Jesus, and that he's come to rescue us from the bondage of sin. He's come to liberate us from our rebellion. Therefore, those who understand this turn and confess their sins and repent of their sins and enter into God's kingdom. And this bears fruit publicly. It bears fruit publicly, namely in the way of baptism. That's kind of what John was doing out there, that the Christian perspective understands this good news, considers it, hears it, considers it, believes it, and wants to lean in a little bit closer. And one of the steps for making this known is through baptism. It's what we see in the book of Acts when the church is born in Acts chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter after responding to the gospel and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You see that question keeps coming over and over and over. You ever ask anybody after you've preached the gospel to them, what shall we do? There's tons of these moments in Scripture that give us the direction. What shall we do? And Peter said to them the same thing that John the Baptist has been saying in our passage. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the same response for you today. Upon hearing the good news that Jesus has come to set you free, your next move is to repent, believe in Jesus, be baptized for the repentance of your sins. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Upon hearing this good news of the kingdom and putting your faith in the one who can bring you there to that kingdom, baptism is that first step of living out this faith. And that, and that should be the end of the discussion, right? That's what we saw John say. That's what we saw Peter say. That's what we see them that repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. But then there's another scene that opens up in our passage. 
And that, that scene, of, it, it shows us the weight of John's message in chapter 3, back in Matthew, verse 11 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. As we consider John's warning, we need to remember that warnings are actually helpful to us. Warnings are, are helpful to us. They're, they're for our good, but we have to be in a place to receive warnings as good news. Warnings are to be heeded. It, they're to be uh, uh, heard and understood and taken seriously. And we live in one of the most ironic cultures, man. Like, it's so weird. We live in this cynical place today where there's, it, it's running rampant. Like, we don't tend to take anything serious. I, I'll never forget when Bluebell ice cream had to basically shut down all of production, and we were all mad. Like, they were killing people with their stuff, and we were like, oh, come on, man. I mean, I'll, I'll take a hit for some ice cream, you know. Like, that's, what we, that's how cynical we were. We just don't take anything seriously. And I think we're split right down the middle on what's currently going on with a pandemic. Like, some of us are taking it serious, and some of us are like, ah, and I, I probably fall somewhere in the middle of that, you know. We just live in this cynical culture, this, this moment where nothing's taken serious. And it really becomes tough to consider warnings when something should matter to us. It gets harder and harder, but John gives a direct warning that Jesus has come, and he is bringing his kingdom. And everyone needs to turn to him, or they will perish. And he's being very direct here. And he doesn't try to polish it up, this reality of eternal separation or judgment. He doesn't try to like pull the weight out of that and, and try to dress it up nice. It's easier for us to take. He just goes for it by saying, hey, look, man, there's two destinations. There's two, there's two places, two ways that the story ends. It's going to be people trusting Jesus and rejoicing at his sacrifice and atonement for sin. And then there's going to be those who suffer eternal torment, separated from God in hell for all eternity. That's it. There's no other end to the story. Those, those are the only places. That's the only thing. And this is the message and warning. Embrace eternally the kingdom of heaven or suffer eternal separation from this kingdom. Call me old school if you will, but this is what, Je this is what John and this is what Jesus has been saying. This is what Peter was saying. And then Jesus, in chapter 3 of Matthew, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. This is very odd to me. Anybody else ever ask why Jesus is being baptized? Isn't baptism supposed to be the, for the forgiveness of sins? Don't we believe Jesus to be sinless? So what, what's up with this? He didn't have sins that he needed to be cleansed from. Where we fall short, Jesus was victorious in absolute worship to God. There was no flaw in him. 
He was perfect on every level, so why does he need to be baptized? Especially, as John describes it, for the repentance of sins. And John's struggling with it too. Like, he's like, whoa, 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 man. Like, what are you talking about, be baptized? You hear me say baptized for the repentance of sin. Like, you got something you need to talk about? Because we know you another way, you know? But there's good reason for Jesus choosing to be baptized, and that was it. It was Jesus making this choice to be baptized. His baptism actually agrees with the gospel. It accords with the gospel in that Jesus identifies with us in every single way, every single way, and you don't have to look any farther than the actual symbolism that is in baptism to get this. The one that is being baptized, making a public declaration that I am dying to myself, that I will be raised again in a new life, and that God will bring this through the Spirit. He's identifying in us, with us in every way, and it's right there in the symbols. No one can more fully identify with this than Jesus. No one can more fully identify with being dead to self than Jesus. No one can fully identify with resurrection than Jesus, right? And so he is identifying with us in this. Though he is sinless, he did come to die. And in his absolute righteousness, he suffered death on our behalf. But he's also the risen one, the resurrected one, and death does not get the final say. He has conquered death. He has made a payment so that we might receive forgiveness for our sins. And through this act of extreme radical love, he is making all things new, and we get to spend eternity with him in this new kingdom. This is the good news that I've been talking about this morning. This is good news that John's preaching. And there's a final word for us in our passage, and we'll close in chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This good news of Jesus is confirmed by the God of heaven. God's word is always the final word. It's all, it always has the final say. And here we have God validating everything that John's been saying up to this point. Validating it. What he's saying is true. And there we have uh, uh, Jesus is in fact the Son of God. So if you're standing on the riverbank, if you're considering these things that have been said today, and you're looking out there at John, this wild man, is like, man, I don't know if I could believe anything homeboy saying this dude is, he's whacked out, man. He's eating bugs. He's dressed funny. I, I don't know. When you see that God confirms the accuracy of his message, then you believe everything he said, right? Well, what this guy has been saying has been accurate. I just watched God come and validate the whole thing. And the message is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the valid message. Repent. Regardless of your perspective, whether it's religious, secular, or you're just a good Christian, a studious Christian, repent. And so will you embrace the news? Will you embrace this good news? Will you put your faith in Jesus? Will you shift your allegiance from whatever it's aimed at to Jesus and to his kingdom? Let him make you new. 
let him bring you into this new kingdom that he has made for us. Let's pray together and we'll, we'll close. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, thank you for, um, God, just thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. who made a, a choice to come and sacrifice his life on our behalf for your glory. So, Father, I pray that in our salvation and in our life, in the gift that we've been given from Jesus, that you do receive glory. Now, Jesus, you have ransomed us from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue to be one family in this new kingdom that you've made for us, where everything has been made right, where we have been liberated from hurt, where we have been liberated from sin and bondage and addiction, self-righteousness, and all of our affection all of our worship now belong to you. Father, I pray that as we receive the gospel, as we receive this good news, that it not just be words for us to consider, but that we see that you actually bridge the expanse of all the universe to validate this message. That you actually send Jesus Christ to live this life that you've set before us that we have horribly failed at that he might live for us in a way that's pleasing to you and that we might put on the garments of his righteousness Jesus our our response to you our response to your, your sacrifice is our wholehearted devotion and worship to you. And so I pray that this room uh, would become a, a pleasing sound to you this morning. And that when we leave here, that we individually carry the mark of the gospel of Jesus Christ on our heads so that we have good news to proclaim and that whether the world wants to hear it or not, it's good for them. And that we would find creative ways to love people and lovingly communicate this good news. Thank you, Jesus, for this good news. Thank you for the good news that you saved me. I didn't deserve it, and you've saved so many others in this room who hadn't deserved it, that you've come for us, that you desire us to be with you for eternity. We love you, and we ask these in your name. Amen.